Andrew, go ahead, come on up, Andrew. Andrew Duran. Andrew uh, had gone to our church as a young man. His family moved away and has since come back. Paul and Cindy Duran, many of you know them. This is their son. Paul's one of our elders as well, if you want to go ahead and set up. Andrew uh, has been ministering in Florida on the college campuses, uh, recently had a, had a promotion, I guess, for lack of a better way, other opportunities opening up. But one of the things that happens when this goes on is Andrew has been a missionary with us for some time. Well, since Andrew's been a missionary, his family has grown as well as now his responsibilities. As a result of that, some of the things that happens is the responsibilities or the need for even more support. So please be in prayer about that as Andrew brings the word of God to us today. Man, so appreciate it. Yeah. Give it to Thanks. us. Thanks. Good morning, Mansfield Bible. Hey, good to be with you. Very thankful to be here every year. Uh, we look forward to uh, coming to visit during your February missions month uh, to connect with you, to encourage you, and hopefully to uh, encourage you by specifically some revealing and displaying some of God's glory in some specific ways through uh, our ministry. And, and uh, Mansfield Bible Church has been a, a pinnacle of support for us for 11 years now. Um, and so that's something uh, that we celebrate uh, very much. And it's a joy to be back, especially having gotten to grow up coming to this church. Um, I'm here without my family this trip. I know, I'm sorry. Uh, but I uh, brought this picture of them and I thought I'd tell you about us in case we haven't gotten the privilege to meet you. Um, this is my wife, Sarah, up here and our two sons, Noah and Silas. They are seven and five. Right now we're in the kid season of life that's dominated by Legos, animal videos, and bad guys from movies. They are obsessed with villains from Disney movies to maybe like a scary level. So please keep us in your prayers. It doesn't seem like a good sign. Um, we're not sure what to do with that, but we currently live in Tampa, Florida, where we've lived the last seven years. Uh, we plan this upcoming May to relocate to Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we work with an international missions organization that's called The Navigators, uh, as was mentioned. And so if you've never heard of The Navigators, we're in 107 countries. We speak 100 different languages. We're embedded with over 200 different types of people groups in the world with 4,600 staff all over the place. And if you're uh, unfamiliar with what we're about, uh, I want to put the vision statement up here of, of what our aim is. And it's to advance the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom into the nations through spiritual generations of laborers living and discipling among the lost. That's what we're aiming to do. And that second half there of that wording is really the specific heartbeat, the DNA that we want to run through all of the different areas of ministry and the navigators. And so our prayer is that on military bases, in inner cities with refugees and college students and overseas mission works across the world, we want to see disciple-making movements rise up in local contexts. We want to see ordinary people from everyday walks of life reach others with the hope of the gospel and to do so in life-to-life -life relationships. We want to see it accomplished through a chain of spiritual generations. And as young college students, God really gripped my heart and my wife's heart with this vision. Uh, we met the navigators in college. He called us into full-time ministry. And for the past 11 years, we have been laboring amongst college, college students uh, in Florida in particular. And it's been a really sweet season. We've gotten to see hundreds of young students kind of come through over the years who were convinced that, that God has not only saved them, that he's not only brought them into a future hope of restored relationship with him, but also that he wants to use them, 
that he wants to use them to take the gospel to the nations, that he would use their ordinary lives in extraordinary ways. And so we've gotten to see God at work in that way because of an army of individuals like you who have prayed for us, supported us, given of your finances, and and asked us insightful questions about what's going on. And so thank you, thank you, Mansfield Bible, for your faithful partnership over the years. This morning, uh, what I'd like to do is a couple different things. I'd love to give you kind of an update, a ministry update about what's been going on in in Sarah's ministry and in mine, and to share a a specific area that God has been moving my heart towards. And I'd also love to share a tool with you from the scriptures, a framework that I'm hoping when praying will be useful and encouraging in your personal walk with the Lord and the places that he has uniquely asked you to be. Does that sound good? Let me pray and, and we'll do that together. Father, we pause now to orient our hearts to the reality of your presence. We're gathered here today to give you the worship that you are due. And we ask that you would prepare us for what you want to communicate. Would you study and clear our minds from the frets or worries, the burdens that we might be walking into this room with? Would you give us a heart posture to receive from you alone? And would you speak now with the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, God? We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Sarah and I are really committed to this navigator calling that we just shared about. And in the last couple of months, my role inside of that disciple-making calling has shifted a little bit from working with students. I'd love to share more about that a little bit later. However, Sarah remains really embedded with the student work at the University of South Florida in Tampa, doing discipleship and evangelism with college students. After we move, she plans and hopes to continue to work with university students in Colorado. And because she's not here today to give you Uh, an update about some of the pieces of her ministry, I asked if she would film a video um, to kind of tell you about a recent opportunity she had. So this past December, she led a group of about seven students to Southeast Asia for about two weeks to connect with some of our long-term navigator ministries who are doing a business as missions endeavor there. And so whenever we send groups of students overseas, we always try to partner with long-term navigator missionaries who are establishing local works. And so let's hear from her experience on that. Hi Mansfield Bible Church. I had an amazing opportunity in December to lead a group of seven college students from across different campuses in Florida to Southeast Asia. One of the goals of our trip was to expose these seven students to the nations. Most of them have never left the country before. So we arrived in country after 30 hours of travel. We were picked up by locals we had never met before. We walked out of the airport into a crowd of people, people playing on the drums, cars honking, so much noise. We got into these local open air taxis called rickshaws for a 45 minute ride to the house we were staying at. We dove right in. They were immediately forced into dependence on the Lord and outside of their comfort zone. A highlight of our trip was that we got to do a 24-hour homestay with a local Muslim family. We got to see their everyday life, how meals worked, we watched them play with their children, we climbed the five uh, stories of steep concrete steps to get to the room we were staying in, we saw how a multi-generational home functioned, we walked around their city with them, We stayed up late dancing to their music and American music, mostly Justin Bieber, which was their favorite. 
And then we opened up Google Translate and we tried to have conversations with them about the Quran and about the Bible. It was a short trip, but it was very impactful for me and for the seven students who went. I think we all came home wanting to be more intentional with how we interact with the people around us, especially those who are of different backgrounds and different religions. Being around the long-term workers who are living there and working there put a fire in my faith. They are taking faith-filled risks and in initiating spiritual conversations with the people that they're meeting. I want to do the same thing. I've had the opportunity to start reading the Bible with a friend from our gym, and I don't think I would have had the courage to ask her to do that with me if I would have not gone on this trip. Trips like this are a success when we come home changed, when we're filled with courage to live more intentionally and initiate with the people around us. The seven students who went have been really um, doing creative things to try and meet people um, from other countries back on their campuses. They've been playing cricket, going to English language clubs, and just saying hi to the international students in their classes. College campuses are magnets for people from all over the world. Um, they come to study, and if they can hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus, while they're here, and then take that good news back to their country and their family, that's how the nations are reached. Thank you so much for believing in our ministry and supporting us so we can pour our lives out to the people around us. The boys and I are missing y'all and wishing we could be there. Bye. 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 Uh, I, right? Yeah, come on. <laughs> I, uh, I, I echo Sarah's sentiments, want to, and just say thank you for allowing us opportunities like that, not only to reach students on the campus in Florida with the gospel, but to give them a vision for God's heart for the nations. Two of those students in particular are USF seniors um, that we've discipled who are kind of weighing God's calling to serve as missionaries overseas, which is just really exciting. So on behalf of Sarah and I, thank you for allowing us opportunities like that. That's Sarah's update. One of the changes for me inside of our calling is that I've transitioned this past November from working with college students to now ministering to and equipping navigator staff and missionaries worldwide through a wing of the navigators that's called leader development. In 2020, kind of at the height of the pandemic a few years ago, I was invited to take part in a year-long leader development program uh, to help me grow in my personal leadership as it pertained to leading myself, leading my staff team, and the students who were around our ministry. And I had been leading a campus work maybe for about five years. I had a staff team of about eight people I was overseeing. And I thought, yeah, you know, some leadership development, that seems like a cute idea, you know, just kind of boost up the staff meeting a little bit and add up a few little tweaks um, seemed like a, something to go after. But across that year of delving into the scriptures and looking at them through the lens of leadership, of rubbing shoulders with other leaders across our work, I became convinced that this idea of a leader is so much more than I ever imagined. And I've been growing in my conviction that it's just not about a, a leading a, a staff meeting or adding on to a resume that it's not simply about watching a, a good like TED talk from Simon Sinek on YouTube or reading a good book, but this view of leadership as a modern and kind of corporate concept, it's grasping at the shadows of an ancient reality that comes from the God who created it. The word of God, the story of redemptive history across time is the story of God using men and women leaders who are following after his heart 
to advance the hope of the gospel in the name of Jesus to a desperate world. I learned that leaders matter. And I know that because I've had a great boss before. Have you ever had a great boss Right? Someone who empowers you, who doesn't micromanage, but they inspire and protect. They listen and challenge honestly. Even terrible work is great under a great boss. Maybe your boss is in the room. You can give him a little, good job, boss. On the other side, how many of you have had a terrible boss? Don't make eye contact if they're in the room. <laughs> it can feel hindering, right? It's hard. It's hard to move forward and to accomplish the task or the goal when you're overrun with work, when it's unclear, you don't have what you need, or when the environment is not safe and there's no communication. Leaders matter. And as I was looking at my leadership in that season, I saw kind of both sides of the coin, how some of my weaknesses and my vulnerabilities and my gaps were putting limits on how faithfully that we could join God in the work that he was calling us to and advancing the gospel on the campus we were working on. And at the same time, I saw how my strengths and my gifts as a leader brought wind into the sails of our team and our ministry and our calling. It was a game-changing season for me. In the past year, we were asked by the navigators to consider transitioning my role off of the campus at USF to let it go to its next chapter and to join the leader development team and to spend a couple of years helping to bring health and development to navigator staff leaders in our work. And as we spent some time praying about that, I really felt God's uh, calling and affirmation to that opportunity to develop leaders and specifically affirming that it wasn't about developing leaders for greater strategic thinking. It wasn't about developing leaders for more organizational growth, but it was about developing leaders for kingdom impact. To see men and women bring energy and alignment to the movement of the gospel. An important passage for me in this season of transition, something I've really loved, has been from 2 Samuel 23, 3 through 4. I think I'm going to pop it on the screen for you. There's are some of the last words of King David, the king of Israel, the leader after God's own heart. And at near the end of his life, some of his last pages of, of him speaking, he speaks to this idea of leadership. It says, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Isn't that just beautiful? Doesn't that just capture what it feels like to follow godly leadership? In the words of the college students that I've worked so closely with, like this, this verse is a whole vibe. Like the sun on the face of a cloudless morning, like the refreshment of, of water on thirsty ground. It speaks to this idea that when leaders get better, everything gets better. And God has been taking me towards that passion and contribution in our calling. And I could keep talking about the boring details of it, but I'd rather show you and use the rest of our our time. I want to pass on a framework that we're using in leader development to help our leaders around the world lead. Because Mansfield Bible, this is a room full of leaders. In a room this size, there are leaders of companies and leaders of industries, leaders of small groups and ministries and households and families, and even leading ourselves. To some extent, God has given each of us stewardship over an area of life that we want to lead excellently into the glory of God. Amen? So I'd love to pass on a tool to develop you this morning. 
What I wanna share with you is how we can lead like Jesus and embrace the shepherd model of leadership. When we use that uh, word leader and we use it in Christian context and in the church, we most often jump to this idea of a servant leader, right? And that analogy is, is fantastic at answering the question, who is a leader, right? It speaks to the inner character and heart that a leader is called to. But I could find that elusive when I'm thinking about the practical task of, of leading myself and leading others sometimes. When I'm asking the question, but what do I do? How do I think? How do I act? For example, what should my response be when my five-year-old freaks out and won't get dressed for school, hypothetically? I have perfect children. How do I move forward with a team member who is constantly derailing our, our conversations in the staff meeting? How do I, I navigate a crisis for which I was never taught, trained, or experienced before and there are people looking to me for leadership? There's another way, another metaphor that we can follow after and imitate God in those leadership questions and it's through this analogy of the shepherd from the Old Testament all the way to Revelation, the image of the shepherd is one that God continually uses over and over again to reveal not only who he is, but what he does and how he acts. And so the shepherd model I want to put in front of you is called LDC, Lead, Develop, Care. And I want to share some reasons here why we use this in leader development with our missionaries. The first one is that it's biblical. It's, it's built with the language that's coming from the scriptures. That as we look at Psalm 23, as we look at Ezekiel 34, there's these kind of major responsibilities and words that are coming forth that you can kind of bring into a pattern of how a leader moves through the world who's following after God. It also helps answer that specific question, what does a leader do? It leads to a pragmatic outlet. It helps bring common language to leaders. There's a lot of wonderful leadership models and structures and lingo out there, but it's nice to have a shared vocabulary to use. And lastly, it can be used as, as a tool, a lens by which we can put it through specific challenges or forward planning to figure out next steps in leading like Jesus. And so what I want to do is, is walk through each of these words. I would love to define it, and I'd love to share with you uh, an example of how Jesus was doing these things in his life. And I've just lately been in the book of Mark, and so all of my examples are from the first few chapters of Mark, and uh, that's what we'll look at. And so let's start. Start with this idea of lead. The L stands for lead. It's kind of funny to put lead as a part of the definition of leadership, and yet there's no better really word to describe this idea. When we're talking about lead, we're talking about intentionally influencing and enabling people to accomplish a given task. And that primary emphasis word when we talk about this is unapologetically task, because there's work to be done. There's things to do and to accomplish. And of the three major responsibilities, lead is what we look to for leaders as the irreducible minimum, right? That's what leaders do, they lead. But when we say lead, we think it involves things like setting direction. I wanna give vision and set goals. I wanna align people. I wanna correct and bring people back onto the same page when they wander off like a shepherd with sheep. I wanna motivate others and inspire those I'm leading and I wanna manage. I wanna provide the necessary structure and oversight, not just for the sake of it, but to help us get the task done. And the example I think of is early in the book of Mark, 
in Mark 1 where Jesus is launching his ministry is when he's kind of full on in this lead responsibility. Mark 1, 14 and 15, it's uh, after John the Baptist was arrested, it says Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And it's in this, this season and the rest of this chapter that Jesus is recruiting the disciples. He's launching his teaching movement after years of, of waiting for the right time for God to give the green light to say it's now time that the Messiah will make himself known. And he does that with high communication, with buy-in, and with starting to form strategy with his followers. And he tells them, this is where we're going. This is how we're going to get there. And this is where we're at right now. Will you come on the journey with me? When others show up asking specific questions, I thought it was gonna be like this. And isn't this true? He brings them onto the same page of that vision with his alignment and the message of the kingdom of God coming to fruition. He's also managing significantly too. It's been a, a funny joy for me to look at Jesus through this specific lens, just overseeing the logistics of a travel schedule of 12 college-age guys. Like that aspect of Jesus gets downplayed a little bit, but from my experience, that might've been the greatest miracle of all, right? Like there's a, that's a lot of work. You can see that like a shepherd, he's leading and guiding his followers with intention. They know his voice and they follow that's what we mean when we talk about lead. Let's jump to develop. When we use this word develop, we mean intentionally strengthening people's capacity to grow and to contribute. Intentionally strengthening people's capacity to grow and contribute. Whereas lead was about task with develop, we're talking about this idea of capacity, to notice and build capacity in others. And this responsibility involves teaching, instructing and showing modeling, leading by example, and coaching, giving feedback. And as we read the scriptures again through this lens, it's mostly here that it jumps off the pages how much Jesus led with a developmental bias. Jesus was always leading with development in mind. My favorite passage from early Mark here is Mark 6, 30 through 52, where Jesus is feeding the 5,000. It's the story we most regularly kind of associate just with God's provision, and that's totally true. But Jesus is masterfully developmental as they're solving this issue. And if you don't remember the story, their leadership challenge that they're facing is he's been teaching and the crowds are following him and they've been with him all day and they begin to get hungry. And they're in a desolate place far away from a nearby town. They need to eat. That's the task. And the disciples and Jesus are kind of trying to figure this out. And the disciples are looking to Jesus saying like, we don't have enough money to feed all of these people. Where are they gonna go? They're just kind of waiting for Jesus to do something Jesus-y and fix it, right? They're looking to him saying, how is this going to happen? And Jesus, who has all of the power and authority in the world, lets them sweat through it a little bit. He's a little cryptic almost in my first reading where he's like, what do you guys think we should do about it? How much food do you have? And they go and they scrounge up the, the bread and the fish and he proceeds to lead them through a system of, of organizing the people and feeding them miraculously from the food that they gathered by creating an environment of trusting God and praying with the resources that they had. And the people are fed. The task is met. But you have to ask, why did Jesus not just snap his fingers and the people's bellies were filled? 
What does he want to instill and develop in his men? Well, he's growing their capacity to trust God. He's shaping their thinking, their character, and their skills as they trust God in the future. And this idea is a challenge for me and many leaders today. I so often want to go quicker and faster and just get it done rather than look behind me and say, who could come with me? Where is their potential that I can fan into flame? And as we look across the scriptures, whether it's Jesus and Peter and John or Moses with Joshua or Paul with Timothy, Timothy, the, the leaders of the kingdom think generationally. They lead with a developmental bias that takes intentionality, time, and effort, often at the expense of efficiency. Development takes work. In fact, many of us in the room have benefited and grown because of leaders in front of us who brought us along with them, who had presence, who showed us the way and spoke into our lives, much less God, who through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, he put his spirit in us to develop us, to sanctify us day by day. That's develop. Let me move on to this last one. This last one is care. It's lead, develop, and care. And when we say care, we mean intentionally watching over and responding to the needs and well-being of others. And the primary emphasis here is well-being. And this involves knowing, drawing near, and connecting, asking questions and moving relationally towards people, as well as providing the resources and protection that they need. There's a Maya Angelou quote that I heard that I think about with care that says, "I've, I've learned that people will forget what you said And people will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. Care helps us put leaders, or as leaders, put people first. Shepherd leadership is firstly about people. And we see that in the life of Jesus, that it's not about strategies, models, and frameworks. These are all tools and tasks that are aimed at real relationships that value people. Jesus in Mark 1, in a large section that my Bible calls Jesus Heals Many, is displaying lots of care. Almost any time he's in a situation healing people, you see Jesus providing physical care to their needs and protecting them, but at the same time, asking questions, drawing near, connecting. There's a pattern that emerges across the Gospels where Jesus is most tender and conversational with hurting and broken people that he's engaging with. Another favorite example that I think of in the Old Testament is Nehemiah, who comes into Jerusalem to help rebuild the wall. He's got quite the big task. He's a high-ranking leader in exile. But if you read the story of Nehemiah, who accomplishes his great task, He doesn't just come in and bust down the doors and start giving orders. But as he approaches this city to which he's never been to rebuild Jerusalem, he's grieved to the heart. He gathers the necessary resources. He scouts out the city in secret to know and to see and observe what's going on in this situation. He gathers the elders around to connect with them and he protects the people as they go about the task. A high care leader steps in with questions, with open eyes and listening ears and brings safety and help. 
That's care, and that's lead, develop, care. This is the framework that we're using with navigator leaders and missionaries across the world who are facing very real leadership challenges, and many are finding it to be game-changing, finding it to be simple and yet not simplistic, and using it as a way to engage with God about their leadership and to ask, where do I go, Jesus? What is needed from me? Oftentimes, I think in my own challenges that they're complex and require all three of these responsibilities at some point or another. So my constant prayer these last few years as I've been working with this myself is, Lord, what is most needed next? What is most needed next? And God has answered many a desperate prayer of mine through this question. I was recently moved kind of by the honesty and rawness of a friend who was sharing her leadership challenge that I want to share about. About a month ago, I was in Colorado at a Navigator Conference for Leader Development, and there's a gal who's in one of our programs. Her and her husband are the Navigator Country Leaders of Ukraine. They've lived there for 17 years, and as you can probably guess, their greatest leadership challenge right now is a war that has displaced not only their family, but all of their staff members, the foundational generation of believers that they've been establishing for those 17 years in Kiev. Their family was evacuated to Hungary a few months ago and all of their people were scattered to different countries in Eastern Europe. And so as we sat with this sister, she just shared through tears, the helplessness of not knowing what to do. Their people were really hurting, lacking clarity about when they can go back, the state of their homes, what life should look like right now and how to plan for the future. And Kendra and her husband, Tyler, as, as leaders, Thomas, excuse me, Thomas, they weren't sure what, what to do. And a group of us prayed with them and, and were uh, encouraging them through the lens of this framework. And over the course of this week, as she was praying and, and asking God that same question of what is most needed next, there seemed to be a peace from God that came that was despite her crazy circumstances. And as she shared with me, Andrew, I do not know exactly what will happen next. We are ministering in the dark, but I can take the next step with God as we lead the people that he's placed under our stewardship. And right now in this moment of crisis, he's impressing upon us that the next step is to push in on care. We need to know and connect with how people are doing. They are hurting and we're gonna spend this ministry season and our ministry finances to do visits to them in these different countries, to bring encouragement from the scriptures, to be alongside our key believers who are reaching out to their families and their networks of their families. And we're gonna pray alongside them and watch what God does. Leaders like Kendra, Thomas, how they lead in a time like this matters. I'm so thankful for them in awe of their faith as they endure and look towards their good shepherd leader. That's what it was for Kendra. I wonder what it is for you, friends. That no matter the issue or the challenge, big or small, what area of life could God be inviting you to imitate his shepherd leadership in? As you consider the example of Jesus, as you see these patterns, I wonder which of these areas is a place of strength or struggle for you. We often say that we each have a strength, a stretch, and a struggle. And I'm, I'm curious how God might want to invite you into a, a deeper walk with him and deeper intentionality with others as you engage with this. 
Thank you for letting me share this tool uh, and update you on how God is moving in our ministry with college students, with leaders, and thanks for your partnership. Your support is what allows us to invest in leaders like that and students like Sarah got to share about and, and disciple-making efforts around the globe. And so we are thrilled to be partnering in it with you. If you're not on our team and this month you're prayerfully considering how to steward your giving this missions month, we'd love to invite you to partner with us. Sarah and I are asking God to bring new partners onto our team with monthly giving to help us navigate our transition to Colorado this spring. Um, Would you please pray for us in our transition? That's our next biggest challenge and and prayer request that God would provide a home and rhythms in some of our new ministry contributions and for our kids. And please know that we are praying for you as well, praying specifically that Mansfield Bible Church would be a, a, a ton of ordinary people who are trusting in an extraordinary God to use their lives for his glory. Let me pray. Father, we worship you this morning and I'm thankful to be with this church family here and to celebrate together our unique roles in the body of Christ. Jesus, would you encourage and empower these brothers and sisters to to bring the aroma of Jesus to a lost and hopeless world and that their kingdom leadership, wherever you have them, would be a beacon that ushers that hope in. That it would be like the sun on a cloudless morning to the spaces that they occupy thinks that we can always look to you as our shepherd, the one who leads and guides and transforms us. And we ask that you would be honored and magnified in the rest of our worship today and our conversations and our unity. We pray that in your name. Amen.